What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Breaking the Grid, the podcast where we talk about the unseen sides of off-grid living, and we answer some of your most common questions about leaving society and self-sufficiency. My name is Julia. I'm a beginner homesteader. I was a city girl literally a year ago, living in California, going to college and balancing a nine to five. And now I'm in the middle of nowhere, backwards Texas, learning how to be self-sufficient. And we have Dan the man. I am not a city girl. No, he's not a city girl. He is one of the foremost experts in this field of off-grid living. And as we learned in the last episode, he's been surviving since uh, almost since birth and eventually left society to live off the land with no contact with the outside world for seven years. So go check out that last episode where we meet Dan and learn about his about his extraordinary life journey going from hunting in the Rocky Mountains to the military to working with NASA and then eventually leaving the grid and him coming back and all the accomplishments he's had since then. So go check it out. Somehow we we were able to fit all of that into an hour long episode. And again, he's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. Today's episode, we will focus on Dan's experience off the grid and what life was like out there for him and his ex-wife. Today's episode is heavily based on his book, Breaking the Grid. I literally went through the table of contents and looked at all of the subjects and um, pulled them out for all of our talking points today. So it'll be uh, a a really good episode if you are interested in learning about going off the grid. Which everybody is, especially nowadays. Yeah. Everybody wants to know about self-sufficiency with COVID and everything. Yeah, absolutely. I guess my first question for you is how would you define living off the grid personally for you because for so many people there's so many different interpretations and levels of that so what does living off the grid mean for you i get this question a lot in seminars lectures too i tell people what we did and i use the word self-sufficient or self-sustainable and somebody always raises their hand and says i'm self-sufficient or uh, self-sustainable um and i said really like because I've never met somebody that was completely self-sufficient like we were. And I really want to meet somebody. So I'm like, that's awesome. Like, come talk to me afterwards. I really want to like compare notes with you. And she's like, like, "Um, I grow my own food, you know, so I'm self-sufficient. And I'm like, well. That's just one part of it. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, I want to celebrate and commend anyone for any level of self-sufficiency. But um, yeah, growing your own food is one element and is actually one chapter in the book. Making your own power, um, your own, handling your own service system, recycling your own goods, making your own goods, farming, raising, butchering, preserving. I mean, basically every single thing that anyone in society does for you now, you do for yourself. Wow. Or you don't. I have it done. Yeah, absolutely. So you fix your own car, you rebuild your own engine, you know, you um, blow glass if you want glassware, right. um, you smelt iron if you want silverware and handles and for tools. Wow. So yeah, yeah, the whole, the whole um, nine yards, the whole nine yards yeah. is self-sufficiency. Off the grid, I kind of relate that more with power, since it's the power of grid. Oh, so that's what grid refers came, to. Came from, okay. yeah. Um, getting off the power grid. So uh-huh. my house is 100% on solar, but I still go to the grocery store. You know, maybe uh-huh. this is a typical um, situation for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is definitely a level of self-sufficiency. So, yeah, you got self-sufficiency self-sustainable which Mm -hmm. is very similar and then being off the grid right and i think what she was doing was just what people consider now homesteading right like your home is where you grow all of your food and you raise your own livestock you have your own garden um and that's that's like 
a level of self-sufficiency, like you were saying. So there's different levels and interpretations to living life off the grid. Um, Like we were talking about in the past episode about how there's probably someone out there right now who's living off of nature, you know, in the Rocky Mountains somewhere. Mm -hmm. And his story and his experiences off the grid is probably different from what you did. Yeah. Yeah. It might be a more of a survival. Yeah. Survivalist thing. Like a mountain man. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that question too. How are you the foremost expert in survival? You know, there's people out there that... And I'm like, I'm not. Yeah. Like, I almost know nothing about the survival, survival aspect yeah. of it. We were living, you know, we were laying in hammocks, drinking yeah. margaritas. I had a TV, I had a Super Nintendo. We were yeah. playing, but yeah. we were completely off the grid, completely self-sufficient. Gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, survival had very little to do with what we did. Gotcha. So, like you said, there's different elements, different levels of that. Um, so, I, I try to specify I was... 100% self-sufficient for seven years. Okay. Uh, where we didn't leave our property once. We never saw anybody. Nobody came on our proper, property. No contact. Um, yeah, as, as most self-sufficient as you can. Gotcha. Because there are different levels of being right. self-sufficient. Yeah, definitely. And if you guys want to hear um, us go into the different levels and interpretations of um, self-sufficiency, we can definitely get deeper into that. But let's let's go ahead and move on. Um, my next question for you is what steps did you take to prepare for your off-grid adventures? Did you do any research? Like, can I go out there and do it today? Like, can I just leave everything and just go off into the wilderness? Um, I would advise against that, but you could. Sure, I'm sure lots of people do. <laughs> yeah. We took a lot of steps. Oh. Um, I researched a lot. I learned a lot of skills. I interned, I apprenticed with everything from working with metal to welding, to automotive, roofing, heating, air conditioning, um, as many different fields as I could Gotcha. Um, to, to um, make okay. the change. Yeah. And, and for, for the listeners, I would suggest, I mean, you don't have to go all out like that. And that information is more available to you now on YouTube and books and everything. But I would advise just walking around the forest without shoes on. Mm. Just, just try that out. See how it is. Sleep on your, on your concrete floor without a mattress, sheets, blankets, pillows. Uh, again, we're not living to that level of survival, but just see if you can do that and how it feels. Mm. Because in society, we're completely cut off from nature and completely cut off to what things feel like. Mm. And so... Just try to experience what things would feel like if you weren't in society. Mm. No air conditioner. I see. So where exactly did you go to live off the grid? Because I'm I'm imagining you like in a jungle somewhere or in the wilderness of Alaska trying to survive. So can you kind of explain where you were at and how you came to that? Yeah, let me try to paint a picture for you here. On one side of us, we have the lar- one of the largest national parks in the U.S., Big Bend. And you mean Texas? In Texas. Yeah. But it's one of the largest national parks. Oh. Big Bend National Park is like third or fourth largest in mm-hmm. the United States. So we have this huge national park on one side of us. On the other side of us is the Mexican border, the Rio Grande, and Mexico's most remote mountain ranges. In Chihuahua, Sonora, there's just, it's like living in Montana and Wyoming and stuff. Mm. There's just, nobody lives out there. Mm. Then you have Big Bend State Park on the other side of us, Mm -hmm. which is a big state park. And then in between all that is just this vast Chihuahuan desert. Mm -hmm. And right in the middle of all that are the Badlands. It's actually what they're called, which... Some of you may have seen the new National Geographic's true crime docu-series, Badlands, Texas, mm. which uh, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It'll, it'll show you exactly where we're living um, if you haven't seen it. But um, this area, the Badlands, which is why they call it this, throughout history, throughout years, all the way up to today, 
the remoteness has given mobsters, drug kingpins, gangsters, general criminals, a means of hiding and being outlaws from the law. It was known and still is known as a modern day wild west. Mm. Anything goes. And, uh, and it still very much is completely lawless. Mm. And that's exactly what we wanted. What? So you were seeking that kind of environment? Well, we weren't seeking the lawlessness yeah. aspect. I mean, we weren't expecting to have a, a gunfight, you know, oh, in, in, the, okay. in the road. Yeah. But we didn't want the law there. We didn't want police. We didn't want a police state. Yeah. We don't want laws and rules and, and NOA guidelines and yeah. societal structure. Got it. And that goes with the lawlessness yeah. aspect. Okay. I understand now. Like the nearest town, to, to kind of reiterate how ridiculous this place is, the nearest town, Lajitas, the mayor of this town is a goat. What? Are it's, you serious? It's a goat. And it has been for years and years. It's just what? like, there's no rules out here. There's no laws out here. No regulations. We're good. Nothing says we can't have a goat for a mayor. It just oh says God. it has to be born in Texas. It has to be a certain age. And, uh, and they're like, our goat was born in Texas and it's, you know, 20 years old, at least 18 years old. And the goat was the mayor. And then it died, and they had put another goat in oh the mayor. Same name, but uh, yeah. And this place okay. is just no taxes, rattlesnakes, mountain lions, murders, disappearances, um, hikers getting lost, uh, squatters. It, it's actually the location of one of my more interesting characters in the end, uh, Survivors. He's out there in the Badlands after the uh, apocalypse happens. So check that out and see if you can find the character that, that lives out here. But yeah, the Badlands was our place of wow. reprieve. That is insane. And again, this is in the like deserts of West Texas. Yeah, right? desert, desert. Wow. So can you tell us why you chose desert i mean i understand the lawlessness and you know the freedom to do whatever you want to create your own laws and rules and stuff but the desert like why not go off into the amazon or uh, in the mountains of utah where you've already learned how to survive why the, we, the we probably should have done the jungle oh. <laughs> uh looking back but um the mountains it's too cold. And again, you're uh, not going to have cooling and heating. Or if you are, that's another huge element that you're adding to your mm. workload. And it's already hard enough living out there. Yeah. So, yeah, you bring up the jungle. That's a great place. It's close to the, 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 um, the equator spot or yeah. possible. Food grows on trees in the yeah. wild. You can grow anything in the ground. Yeah. Fish everywhere. Uh, in the desert, there's very little life. Oh my gosh! And, but it was warm and yeah. didn't get cold in the winter times, and it and the night times cooled off. And the remoteness of the desert gave us a perfect blank canvas mm -hmm. to do our little piece of society how we wanted to do it. Right, right. So we painted a picture of what we wanted, and it worked out really well for us. Wow, that is in. Incredible. And it and it was considered the last frontier in the United States. Yeah. Even Alaska is more um considered populated. more yeah. populated and um settled than West Texas. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough terrain out there. So let's go ahead and have you walk us through a typical day of your life out there, like a day to day of off grid living. Once what we got established. Like? Yeah. Or, or I don't know, like you pick whichever stage of off-grid living you want to share with us. But I, I guess what people want to know is once you've had everything established, yeah, which we'll, we'll go more into what establishing. To, 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 the yeah, yeah. Right. Life was pretty easy once we got all the systems intact. And we would wake up when the sun comes out, no alarms. We'd wake up when we were rested instead of waking up prematurely. Mm -hmm. We'd go to sleep when we're tired. There was no breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We ate 
breakfast when we were hungry. Mm-hmm. We ate again when we were hungry. We ate again if we got hungry, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we've gotten so, like I said, we've gotten so far, far away from these natural um, ways of living life. It's so Not- disconnected from it. Oh, okay. Go ahead. As a society. Yeah. Um, that we eat when we're not hungry and we go to sleep when we're not tired. And if we're not tired, we take a pill to make us tired. And if we're tired when we wake up, we drink a drug that makes us awake. And so there was none of that. Um, we followed nature's clocks and, um, we maintained systems, hung out with the animals, um, swam in our swimming pool. Mm-hmm. just enjoyed life wow that is like the ideal thing people want when they think about living off the grid is living with nature listening to your body not having the stressors of today's society on them but can you sort of you were saying before about how you had to establish a lot of things can you walk us through a day in the life before you had those systems established Working from the moment we woke up to the moment we went to sleep. Wow. It was nonstop work. I retired from the society and the work, did nine to five, but I guarantee I worked more after retiring from that than I ever did working in it because we were starving. You know, we were thirsty. In the beginning, yeah. And if we don't get our food, if we don't work to get water, you're going to die. There was no calling 911 or going to the hospital. There was no hospitals. So, yeah, a lot of work involved in those first couple of years. Gotcha. So if you're not fond of working with your hands, <laughs> it might not be right for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that there is a lot to living off the grid, but everyone's first question is always about food and water. And as soon as you said oh, we left society and went off to live in the desert, I'm like, what did you grow out there? What did you eat out there? How did you get anything to work for you out there? Yeah, there's no, we realized really quickly that there's no farming in a desert. Society, and I touched about this in the previous episode, and I will more later, but society lied to us about a lot of stuff. They showed us cartoons as a kid and shows where you just drop a seed and the water sprinkling down on it and the, and the food crop or flower yeah. grows and Mickey Mouse is like, woo, yeah. you know. We dropped seeds on the ground and poured the water on it and the water hit the ground and instantly turned to steam. <laughs> and we're like, okay, this isn't, this isn't a feasible means of food production. Wow. And we actually got a little scared um, how we were going to grow food there. Wow. And our first attempt was underground. So we dug this huge trench, covered it with a berm and had grow lights in there and were growing in raised beds, but still in the dirt. And that worked. It was cooler underground, um, but we didn't get the production that we needed to sustain two people Mm -hmm. full time. So that's when I started dipping into hydroponics and aquaponics. Mm -hmm. And... That just took off. It was, I mean, the environment for aquaponics in a closed system, we got 10 times the food production, 10 times larger food production, two times healthier fruits and vegetables. Uh, It's all because the plants are growing, aren't putting energy and calories into building stronger stems because the wind's blowing them or they're overheated by the sun or it's cold or pests or so they get to put all that energy into better, more healthier fruit. Gotcha. Uh, So hydroponics in the desert was the way to go. Also a big one was our livestock choices. Mm -hmm. No cows. And that was another societal lie. What? You have a farm, you have cows. Yeah. But you have one guy and a girl your size butchering a ton and a half cow, you know, First of all, it would be impossible. And then we'd spend days or weeks butchering and separating different meats. And then your your fridge or your cold storage would be stacked with two tons of cow meat. Mm-hmm. And it, it'd all go bad before you had a chance to eat any of it. Mm-hmm. So goats were the much better choice. Mm-hmm. And specifically boar goats because they're from Africa and they 
could take the heat a lot better. Mm -hmm. We could butcher one, you know, a kid and have 10 meals before it ever spoiled. And by kid, he means baby goat, not human kid. (laughs) So she thinks. (laughs) Uh, And then another one was like, you're going to live off the grid. You got to have a horse, you know, to Mm -hmm. pull your uh, plow and ride on. And those TV shows, Westerns and stuff was just not the way to go in the desert. Mm-hmm. Burros were the workhorse. Mm-hmm. They survived the heat. They needed very little water. They could work and last a lot longer than any horse could. So like burros are a little bit different than donkeys. Donkeys were bred for colder weather. They have longer hair. And burros came from sp- southern Spain where it was hotter and came in through Mexico. And they are used to the heat a lot more. But I get a lot of people that go down to these different places or up to cold weather places mm-hmm. and they just pick and choose what animals they want. Mm. You know, I, I've always liked the German shepherd. So I'm going to bring a German shepherd down the to desert. the desert. Yeah. And that dog is like Aww, suffering, suffering in hell. You know, there's some short haired breed dogs that are great in the desert. Like mm-hmm. we have Rhodesian Ridgeback, Ridgebacks. And um, certain chickens do better in the desert. Peacocks and turkeys versus ducks and geese, mm-hmm. which are suited Waterfowl. Yeah. Cold weather. Yeah. Right. Where they're down. And, right. And so you really got to pick out the animals that are better for the desert rather than which ones you personally want. Gotcha. So there's sense. a lot of research that goes into even just looking into the kind of livestock that you want to have and have established out there when you're living off the grid. So did you ever tame any wild animals out there for your livestock or tame or work with any wild vegetation out there, like foraging or growing, I don't know, what grows in the desert, cactus or Yeah, we ate a lot of cactus. Oh, okay. Um, The cactus pads and the tuna fruit that grows off Mm -hmm. your typical cactus. Um, there's another cactus that's kind of small and low length. The ground is called, well, the fruit of it's called pataya and it's incredible. It's just like a huge strawberry and, yeah. or kind of a kiwi strawberry mix. Um, we did a lot with mesquite seeds, uh, made flour out of mesquite seeds. There was okatia and the okatia flowers have some nectar in them. That you could, uh, well, you can eat the nectar right away, but you could make teas and stuff out of mm. it. There's a lot of, a lot of plants in the desert that you can eat. It's not just a desert. It is a growing, alive place. Yeah. You just got to know where to look. Right. As far as animals, taming animals, down on the Rio Grande, there's a lot of wild burros. At mm. some point in history, they were using burros to bring across gold from Mexico or something and just released them all. And there's just hundreds, tens of thousands of wild ones and we had a wild burro come on to her i think she was actually living there before we got there mm-hmm. and um, she kind of tamed us she helped us a lot she protected our livestock from mountain lions i had to suture her mouth up she she had about 27 stitches in her mouth because the lion ripped her mouth open yeah but that's another story yeah so absolutely. she was with us the whole time and Wow. Um, none of our animals were ever in fenced in or in cages. Everybody mm-hmm. was free to roam. Yeah, that's a whole the whole part of self-sustaining is that these animals are going to be able to feed for themselves, fend for themselves and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, you don't feed them, you don't water them. Once you get your systems going, right? Um, they're all free roaming. Wow, that's incredible. What about water? What did you do for water out there in the desert? <laughs> So originally I had learned how to drill a well. Yeah. Living in Utah, my grandpa was a water well driller. And I learned how to drill wells the old hard way, Mm -hmm. uh, which we actually hand drilled the well that's here in the bunker, inside Mm -hmm. the bunker. So I had went out there with the idea that I was going to drill a well. And after talking to some people that were, had been out there for years, I quickly learned that the water level was like a thousand, fifteen hundred feet down. And you're not going to be drilling a well 1,500 down by hand. So we went with rain water catchment. So we had three uh, 10,000-gallon water tanks hooked up to our gutters, caught all the water, and it was more than enough to run our hydroponics, our aquaponics, all the water we needed, all the water Mm -hmm. the animals needed, more than enough water for everything. 
do you suggest that people find a location closer to a river? I know you said you were closer to the Rio Grande. Was that helpful at all for you when you were looking for water? No, we were miles away. We had Oh, okay. We had a lot of acres. We had oh. hundreds and hundreds of acres. So we had a little creek that was just down by uh, down the cliff from where we built the house, but it was seasonal. So oh. it was only there when it there in the rainy season. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I I mean that would be a critical element now if I were to go off the grid again. I have to be right on a, a little even a little creek, mm-hmm. not only for water but food and electricity through water mm-hmm. turbines. Also, it's just you got solar panels, which is powering whenever the sun's out. You got wind turbines, which is powering, generating electricity whenever the wind's blowing. Mm -hmm. But a water turbine, those creeks move 24 hours a day, Mm -hmm. all year long, and it's always generating electricity. Gotcha, gotcha. So you mentioned a little bit about you wish you would have built your shelter closer to a water source. Can you sort of go into what kind of shelter you built while living off the grid, what materials you use, and the motivations behind building a shelter like that. Yeah, so when we went there and scout out our property, mm-hmm. which after seven years, we still didn't see all of our property. Wow. There was parts of it we never even knew that were there. How many acres was your property that you Almost 3,000 acres, I think. Wow. Yeah, it was a pretty epic place. We found Indian ruins and carvings and tools and fossils. Yeah, Yeah. dinosaur bones that were this big. Insane. But um, yeah, so when we went there, it was the rainy season. Uh, So I went there and it was the rainy season, the creek's going. Mm -hmm. Uh, I find a cliff um, right in the center of the property. Um, So even if neighbors built on the edge of theirs, we would never hear them or see them Mm -hmm. on the cliff for good airflow. I said, this is the spot. It it was great for that moment, but then when the dry season came, river's gone, and I'm on top of a cliff, so if I'm going to drill a water well, now I have to go even further. Uh, So it wasn't, I I probably should have waited a year and checked at different points to get a better evaluation of the perfect spot. Right. Um, As far as materials, uh, we used a lot of rock. We made adobe out of clay and sand, straw that was just growing wild. Believe it or not, the dung of our burro uh, luna. Yeah, you, you mix it in. as building material? You mix it in with the adobe, oh and when you uh, uh, make your bricks or you fly it, it's supposed to keep off flies. Right. And um, we never really had flies, so I never had it without the dung in it, so I can't say if we had flies before, but the old timers swore by it, so we put it in there. And <laughs> seemed to work. We didn't have a fly issue. Wow, that's incredible. So, what exactly did your shelter look like? I know it was very unique. It was like open. You didn't have any doors or window, which sort of makes sense for living in the desert. You know, you don't need to really protect yourself from the elements as much, other than the heat. But can you sort of explain? why the design of the shelter, why you built it the way that you did? Yeah, it was like kind of like a yurt. A um, yurt. But, or a dome home or something. Okay. But it was as close to that shape as we could get. And a yurt is like, A yurt is, is like that? a, it comes from Mongolia. I think they would take skins of animals and, t- and sew them together and build a circular hut with mm. a cone roof. And that was easy to break down. And move, mm. uh, kind of like the North American Native the American teepees, teepees yeah. uh, version of that, but it's a little bit bigger. It's more spacious. You have furniture mm. and beds and everything. So we tried to build that out of adobe. It, it worked. We it kept it cool. We didn't have, like I said, our walls were wide open. We didn't really have walls, um, no doors, no windows, because there's no need for them. Mm-hmm. The wind comes through, it stays cool in the in the summertime, and there really was no winter. Um, never, ever got both freezing. And it, it was all built out of natural materials for free, and that's where we lived. Wow. That is pretty cool. Um, yeah, your shelter and your designs for that shelter is very unique because in my mind, when I'm thinking about people living off the grid, it's completely different from what it looks like. 
when you lived off the grid. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I think it's a huge misconception by society is that you have to live in a cave yeah, or that's what in a I was, tent yeah. and have candles. And... Yeah. But before you got the shelter going, you lived, you, you've told me before that you lived in a camper for yeah. a year or so. Yeah, almost two years, I think. Oh, my gosh. It was a cab over camper. Wasn't even pulled behind. Oh my gosh! And uh, I think so it was a little tiny thing. I think it was eight feet long and four or five feet wide or something. Yeah. And the bed part was over the cab of your truck. Your truck, yeah. I loved it. <laughs> like we could lay in bed playing Super Nintendo, and I could reach over and get a beer out of the fridge <laughs> um, without ever leaving bed. Yeah. She hated it. I bet. No room to move around. Oh Can't gosh. cook in it. and But we all were only there for about a year and a half, a year and six, nine months or something. Yeah. So theoretically, someone can survive out there with just a camper, right? Because you were able to survive out there for almost two years. So you don't technically need to build a shelter to the... No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to live a rougher life... You can live in a camper, you can live in a tent, you can mm -hmm. live in nothing, you know, mm. just a sleeping bag or something or mm -hmm. a cave. Or... We had some caves underneath the cliff that we had food storage in to mm. keep cold, like a cellar. They would have been perfect to, to live in. And a lot of those people out in the Badlands just haul a, camp, a, a camper or a trailer out there and live in those. Wow. You have to make your own methane for gas because all they're all gas stoves and everything. Or build a solar cooker or something. Gotcha, gotcha. So with talking about like the house and shelter and stuff like that, my next question is what about things like household products? Like what did you do for toilet paper, you know? We made it. You made your own toilet yeah. paper? <laughs> we made toilet paper. Um, at first we were using washable rags. That yeah. You could just like, kind of like a diaper you you clean the baby with a rag and then you wash it. Right. Or at least Reuse, that's how they used to do. repurpose, yeah. recycle. Yeah. And so we did that for a while. And then we kind of ran out of, they just disintegrate after mm -hmm. so many years. So we started making toilet paper out of mesquite and cactus cellulose fiber. How they used to make paper with a paper mill and a paper um, frame. And we could make string and then with string, make rope that way too, mm -hmm. with the cellulose fiber. That worked great. Wow. More work, but uh, it was it was definitely easy to do. Oh my goodness. So even everything that you can imagine right now in your household, from your utensils to toilet paper to blankets to clothes, you had to make all by yourself out there at some point. Tools. Tools. If you have a, a motor or something and... A, part breaks in it you have to be able to melt down the iron to make, make that your, part <laughs> form oh, it nice. make the part um if you want if you have a light bulb that doesn't work anymore you know I, you know how to blow glass and insert your copper wires and connect your cone and oh, goodness. melt down some aluminum cans to get your the c12 threaded cone on there wow we make candles um out of with our beeswax mm -hmm. and there's a plant, a cactus out there called Candle, Candelea, I think it's called. It produces wax. Yeah. I made an uh, arc welder with our solar arrays battery bank mm -hmm. so I could weld parts that broke and wow. fix things and build things. We made tortillas out of the flour, mesquite yeah. flour. Uh, we made glass from sand in wow. a kiln. That is insane. Yeah. You name it, we made it. Wow. That is incredible. I don't think people realize all of the things and how things are made. I remember coming here for the first time and I was so used to just buying something new. Do you remember in the very beginning, I was like, oh, that charger is broken. Mm -hmm. We'll just toss it and get yeah. a new one. And your mentality was, we don't need to get a new one. We can fix this Take charger. Take it apart, yeah. figure out which right. dialogue is broken and pull right. it from another electronics thing. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't think we realize all of the material and effort and intellect that is put into making something as simple as our, or what, what we think is as simple as our phone. And it also kind of shows you what you actually need out there. Yeah. Can so, you go into that? Like, did, did you have phones and computers or, I mean, probably not, right? No. We burned our phones and computer, but that's a 
whole nother yeah. episode. We burned everything. Yeah. We took some stuff with us, of course. Yeah. We took our Super Nintendo, our TV. Um, yeah. You quickly realized that you didn't need 80% of the stuff you brought. Mm. That was hard to know. Mm-hmm. There was nothing telling, like my book is now, mm-hmm. there was nothing telling us what you actually need out there. Mm-hmm. We burned most of our stuff and took what was left that we thought we would absolutely need. Mm-hmm. Turned out we didn't need most of that. Gotcha. So as Americans, though, we have so much stuff yeah. that we don't really need. And then we buy more stuff. Yeah. Just to have it, not even to use it. Like, yeah. I know people who buy a boat that's just sitting in their garage and they never ever take it out to the lake or the river. And I'm just like, why do you have that? Yeah. Yeah. Living with the bare minimum like you did out there really, I guess, puts more important to what is more important in your life that you use on a daily basis. So what I think is very essential is you, your physical health when you're out there. What are what were some of the dangers that you faced out there that might actually cause you harm? Um, scorpions, black widows, brown recluse, rattlesnakes, bites. Oh my um, gosh. See, lacerations, broken that scares arms. Me. Yeah. Yeah. And we had to Deal with every single one of those. What did you do? Like, if you got hurt, and again, we're talking about the middle of the desert, there's nobody around, the closest hospital is like six hours away or something. So what did you do when you got hurt? And I'm sure you got hurt several times. How how did you manage that? Well, even though the nearest hospital is six hours away, for us, it wasn't an option. Mm. Because go, that would mean going back to society and we weren't self-sufficient anymore. Right. And we were self-sufficient till death. So cool. we had planned on being out there no matter what. If we had gotten sick or gotten hurt, there was no option to go in the hospital. So we got bit by scorpions. I mean, stung by scorpions and bit by black widows and bit by rattlesnakes. And it's another one of those things that society lied to us about. Mm-hmm. Um, that rattlesnakes will kill you. I mean, don't get me wrong. It hurts like, <laughs> and you probably wish you were dead, but rattlesnake's not going to kill everybody. Maybe if you're very old or very young. Um, uh, but yeah, there's not many snakes in the world, or at least in the United States, that can actually physically kill you. Right. Um, spiders, the same things. Black widow bites, uh, wasp stings, scorpion stings. I had a big laceration on my arm that we had to put about 14 stitches in. I broke my left arm. She said it made a cast and we put the cast on, cut the cast off after a few months. Um, Did you have any like um, anesthetic? Is that what you call it? Like pain killers to when you set the bone and stuff? We iced it down. So your your nerves are kind of numbed up. Um, same with the laceration. My goodness. Um, we made our own antibiotics. We made pure alcohol. And then you, you get sick because you're going to get infected. There's, you know, we, didn't, we made penicillin later, but there is no natural antibiotic, nothing that we knew about yeah. the desert. So you're going to get sick. You're going to get bacteria in there. Yeah. And you get sick. And if I died, I died. My and goodness. you bury me out in our cemetery and that's it. That and people insane. die out there like that. You know, people out there, they die. Like I said, they disappear. They, they die out there. And that was what we signed up for. Mm. So did, was it you who mostly got hurt? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming so. Like, you know, now working with me, yeah. like I'm always getting hurt when I work with my hands and stuff. Yeah. Every single time I get three or four cuts. cuts and, yeah. Bruises. Yeah. I'm always the one that's getting cut. Um. One thing that didn't happen happen much up there was getting sick from like colds and flu. Mm-hmm. Now COVID, yeah. like the flu virus doesn't exist out there. COVID doesn't exist out there. These are viruses that are transmitted and transported by humans. There's no humans mm-hmm. out there. I see. Okay. So it 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 doesn't exist. We never got sick the whole time. But if neither of you we're sick. You There's no pass outside. That along. It's like a I sealed, see. contained biodome or something. Wow. That you know the viruses can't be transported in. Okay, so you were more you were more worried not about 
the sickness, but more about uh, like wounds and cuts and hitting. Falling or off something. a cliff or okay. something. Or, yeah. And then also our animals got hurt all the time. Like I said, Luna got yeah. a huge laceration in her mouth, sutured all that up and um, set broken legs in my goats and um, worms and different things affecting our chickens and that's insane so did you learn you said that eventually at some point you learned how to develop penicillin did you have to learn how to do all of these medical things along the way or did you prepare for this ahead of time like did you take classes or yeah like we didn't rediscover the penicillium bacteria that, uh, okay, that secretes I thought, penicillin okay. No, we kind of knew how to take bread and how to purify the bacteria that grows on it. And, yeah. Um, and I'm not sure that we ever purified it enough to be a very effective antibiotic. Yeah. Um, but we didn't die. Yeah. So. Just so people don't know, penicillin is a type of mold. And that's what Dan means by taking bread and purifying the penicillin it's that white mold that grows it's a, on it's your a bread. white turquoise yeah it's actually not the I mold i think i have it let me you, you got some growing yeah i have yeah i have some growing. purifier yeah start selling penicillin i'll be right back guys it's not the mold itself the mold itself is called penicillium or something like that and when that white grit bluish green mold um defecates it defecate penicillin. Mm -hmm. So um, for the viewers who are watching, um, this is a piece of moldy bread. And so you'll see that the color on this bread is, you see these little white spots here, right? The and white it, spots are actually a different uh, Oh, mold. they're a different kind of mold. Yeah, the blue-green one is penicillin. Oh, okay. So forget the white part. It's the blue-green part that is the important stuff. So you would take that mold and just let it grow on the bread and then how do you purify it that's a long process oh okay First, it's you in gotta the book. yeah yeah First, you gotta sterilize your jars and everything so there's not other bacteria growing in there and okay, then you gotta make gotcha. sure you actually have penicillium and not other and then you heat it up to certain temperatures and yeah it's all in the book how to make yeah. penicillin from the book but yeah we uh we didn't die so maybe it worked i'm yeah. not sure it's incredible. Oh, my goodness. Going back to the question, did you have any previous medical, like, uh, education that you brought out there? Or uh, how did you know all this stuff? So, like, everything else, I had um, studied medicine. Right. I learned how to weld. I learned automotive repair. I learned basket weaving. Yeah. And I did my pre-med at UT. Um, I took emergency management courses, of course, every first aid CPR course you could take. Uh, we had books. There are books on self-care and emergency mm -hmm. care out there. And uh, we had those. It was funny because I was very experienced in a lot of things. They're very knowledgeable and educated in a lot of things. My ex um, had already known a lot of these medical things because in Mexico, they don't run to the hospital every time they have mm. a cold or they break an arm or something. Yeah. A lot of these things are already and always have been treated at home in mm -hmm. Mexico and a lot of second and third world countries. Yeah, like my culture, my, my parents didn't trust the Western medical system. So we did a lot of herbal remedies and um, learning how to treat your ailments at home. Just the bare minimum of the ailments, but enough to make sure that we knew what herbs did what and what works and what didn't. So that's, that's invaluable too. Um, so with all the dangers and medical attention that was needed and the, and the added element of age and getting older out there, you had to develop some form of sustainable system to help you, you know, maintain things as you age and as you hurt yourself and whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So and that was the the main reason why it was so important to establish these different permaculture systems that would take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Because you can go out there and not establish those systems, right? Like yeah, you, you can, can walk two miles down to Rio Grande every right. morning, get four buckets of water and come back. Right. 
but having those systems made your life a lot easier, right? Yeah. And especially as you age, once you hit, if you survive out there to your 60s, at 60 years old or 70 years old, it's going to be hard for you to walk every day to the river to get your water source. So can you sort of go into how you develop sustainable systems to support self-sufficiency while living off the grid? And is it really necessary? I definitely wouldn't say it's necessary. I think that humans have not had permaculture systems for the majority of humans' existence. Mm -hmm. um, most of the old timers out there, in fact, most of the residents of the Badlands, for some reason, are very old. I think they get to retirement age of 60, 65 and say, no more of this, I'm leaving society. Mm -hmm. uh, but they don't have that enlightenment till they're that age and that's when they go out there. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely possible they're doing it every day out there. Um, we didn't want those hardships. Mm -hmm. So um, we built the rain automatic rain catchment system with float valves that would automatically fill up containers of water where all the livestock had to um, drink. Our hydroponic systems were had float valves in them, so when the plants drank water or water was evaporated, it filled back automatically again. Mm -hmm. You sort of talked about solar and wind power. Can you kind of elaborate on other renewable energy sources that you eventually learned how to harness while you're out there? So we had a we first run a generator. Generator. Okay. And in the beginning, we were running back and forth, three and a half hours or something to get gas for the generator. Okay. And then I the learned. The closest town or mm -hmm. closest gas station. Yeah. Okay. And then I learned that I could modify it a little bit to run on propane, mm -hmm. which I could get a big five-gallon propane tank or a 10 or 20-gallon propane tank, and it would run a lot longer than liquid fuel. So I did that, and that was a lot better. Um, but then, and I had always planned on um, harnessing the methane from our compost toilets, which we also built. So we started harnessing and pressurizing our methane to run the generator off our waste products, mm -hmm. uh, wow. also food wastes and just anything that's biodegradable. Very renewable, <laughs> yeah. In case you're wondering what he did with all of his waste, that's what he was doing with it. <laughs> we were renewable before renewable was yeah. cool. So yeah, we had our uh, fuel systems for the generator, but eventually I wanted to get off gen generator, the generator and, yeah. and combustion fuels altogether. So the first thing we did was make our own solar panels. Mm. Uh, we made them with copper plates. This is all over the web now, but mm -hmm. you cook one side of a copper plate and you have conversion of the, the uh, photons. Why solar power? Is it just because the environment you were in out in the desert, it was the easiest renewable energy to get? In the desert, it's like sunny 345 yeah. days a year. Yeah. So we had a lot of sun power out there. So it depends on what environment you were in. So if you were closer to a river, then your first source would have been hydro power. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I have a video on our YouTube channel. Yeah. Dan Martin Human of my first water turbine oh. that I built. And it's a big water wheel thing. Mm -hmm. And it produced a lot of electricity. So we had the water turbine. We had solar panels that were really inefficient. We're talking like half watts per cell. Oh my gosh. Now they're like thousands of watts. Um, but again, we had so much sun yeah. and so much roof space that, yeah, and we didn't need electricity. We didn't have air conditioners. We didn't have mm. electric stoves. We had LED TVs. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have much electricity generation. Got it. Uh, and then I made our first wind turbines mm. and we used the motors out of an old treadmill. Some Use a PMM motor, some PVC pipes cut down to, for, for wind blades, pulled it up about 30 feet. And to our surprise and amazement, we had electricity generated. That's amazing. How long did it take you to establish these systems, though? Because I know that we'll go deeper into what establishing the systems mean uh, in a later episode. But how long did it take you? A little over a year. Okay. We were going in and out, off, on and off the property for about a year, year and a couple months. And that was to get parts and tools and things that we were needing that we didn't know we would need. And then still food because our food systems hadn't generated enough to fully feed us. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you were living in the camper at this time, right? This was yeah. 
the years that you were living before building that shelter and having all of your systems set up and stuff. Yeah, about a year and a couple months. And then it took us about eight months to build the octagon house. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. So life out there. Okay. So I guess life out there was hard in the beginning. You were working nonstop. It was hot. You were living in a cramped space and you had to take life on a day-to-day basis surviving out there. But once you had those self-sufficient systems established, life became a lot easier for you. And you got to live the life that you were hoping to live. Dreaming. Dreaming Mm -hmm. of, right, when you moved out there. That's incredible. So if you guys want to learn about everything that we've talked about today, from picking and choosing livestock to making your own toilet paper to finally establishing your own self-sufficient systems. It's all in Dan's book, Breaking the Grid. Again, this episode is just sort of recapping all of those points. Um, So go check it out. It's a great, great book if you want to learn about how he did all of the things that he did out there. It's available at? It's available at familias.com. We'll make sure to have the link below. So just... One last question for you, Dan. Would you do this again if you had the chance to? And do you recommend living life off the grid for our viewers? Yeah, I think that I think that the societies we've built, these super powers, these super societies, um, is extremely not only unhealthy for the planet, but as individuals too. And we'll get into more of this in a different episode, but this lifestyle is just just look around. It's not working. Mm-hmm. And it worked when we were in smaller villages. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't do it again, me and my wife. Mm-hmm. I would do it. And what we're actually planning on doing is in with a group of people. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what we're kind of forming here. And we're open to uh, members of forming a self-sufficient commune in the bunker Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely today was a really great episode to pick dan's brain about everything that he's gone through living off the grid um in the next episode we are going to talk more about what dan did to prepare to leave off the grid all of the classes he took finances and even going down to the nitty-gritty of looking for the location we're going to talk about all of that stuff in the next episode so next week Tune in for that. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Be sure to pick up a copy of my book, Breaking the Grid, at famous.com, link below. And of course, please like, subscribe, and share.